This is episode number 83 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Bringing the latest and greatest in internet marketing every Monday morning at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher Radio. But you're listening right now, so you already knew all of that. Which if you are, please take a second and leave us a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Sponsors for today's show include... Colonel E.H. Taylor's bourbon whiskey. <laughs> but seriously, what I'm drinking is Colonel E.H. Taylor's single barrel okay. bourbon whiskey and an old-fashioned delicious. Highly recommend. So how would you rank that compared to Knob Creek? It's a close tie right now. I'm going to have to do a taste test later okay. tonight. I'll do a Knob Creek one after this All right. uh, and then compare and I'll get back to you. All right. So what are you drinking over there? Drinking Oban 14. Also delicious. Hopefully going to mix it up next week though. Spice it up with something different. I did have an aviator. My recent trip to New York City, that was quite tasty. I like my purple drink. <laughs> Felt really good drinking it. Speaking of trying some different and new things, I was at a whiskey bar last night and they sell flights of oh, uh-huh. bourbons and whiskeys and the sketch selection is pretty limited. But if you want to do a flight, Okay. We can go there. We can do a uh, a bearded marketer's wet lunch, I guess. Is that what it's called or something like that? <laughs> like I don't it. know. And we'll get flights of bourbon and whiskeys and try some different things. What's the rundown for tonight's episode? Feature, no. I think it's going to be an action-packed episode, wide range of topics, and some big shakeups on the Google front. But we're going to start off with some Snapchat, not the ones that get you in trouble, but some advertising changes on that front. We're going to move into... How do you prioritize your A-B testing? So we get a lot of questions about, mm, I'm new to this testing space. How do I even know where to start or which ones to put time and priority into? So we're going to cover that. Bum, bum, bum. This is actually getting moved out of our Google corner because it's own special. Google Penguin 3.0 is out. What do you need to know? And what do you need to prepare for if you haven't already started your cry sessions? Holiday season segment, mobile shopping will be up again this year. Some numbers behind that. What do you need to take into account? And I wanted to give some shout outs at the end when we're talking about our Google Corner. So let's kick it off. Snapchat, the infamous Snapchat. What is it we need to know as marketers that are coming online and available in the Snapchat world? So for those users of Snapchat out there, I'm sure you saw a recent ad. So now Snapchat up until now didn't have ads, right? I mean, it right. was a free thing, had a, what, a huge evaluation, uh, just insanity, uh, but no revenue coming in. Right. Tons of users, again, all secretive. No one knows, but everyone has an account. <laughs> I guess did a, a pioneering trial run of an ad campaign, and this was with Universal Pictures for their upcoming uh, Ouija board uh, movie. That looks terrible. I don't know if you've seen uh, the trailer. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be most horror wow. movies end up being, I get very excited about them, but they mm-hmm. end up being terrible. Anyway, so it showed up in your feed and I guess they've been sort of trialing this sort of concept because Snapchat can send you messages that show up in your account as well. Similar sort of thing. It just shows up in your incoming inbox, whatever. You click on it and then you get to watch an ad. Basically a trailer. We for get to watch upcoming. one? Yeah. You <laughs> feel honored. <laughs> yeah. Interesting there, just that in the fact that this is happening, they have a couple quotes from Universal execs who think that this is amazing, quoted by saying in the millions in terms of how many people have watched this video on Snapchat. So it's going to be a long time, I'm sure, before this is available to the masses. But I think this is pointing to a new trend, not a new trend. This is a trend that the bearded marketers have been well aware of (laughs) for a very old episode. And that is that video marketing is the Mm -hmm. new hotness. Yep. Text paid search ads, that's the old busted. (laughs) What am I even looking at? Exactly. (laughs) Infographics, all that stuff, that's the old busted. Video Mm -hmm. marketing is where it's at. It's so personal. It's so in your face. 
It's amazing. And it's the kind of content that people are out there looking to consume. So I think this is just sort of pointing towards where that stuff is going. I know we had mm-hmm. some stats last week about Facebook. Video Videos. views are through mm-hmm. the damn roof. It's well, out of control. They cheat, but They yes. do cheat, but still the <laughs> point is that tons of people are consuming videos online. The tech is all there, man. Videos work on all platforms. That was an issue for a while on mobile devices. Right. They work everywhere. And the tech out there to get up and running with them is so easy to do. That and I feel like the mobile carriers now, at least in the U.S., have gotten to the point where speeds are not necessarily as big of a concern. The big stumbling block for video for a long time was I might be able to produce this, but on a mobile device, unless I'm on Wi-Fi, this will be like this as it loads and buffers. But now that we have LTE penetration in the places that we do in the metro areas... Thank you. <laughs> Snapchat reference. Was that on purpose? <laughs> you I see what know. I did there? <laughs> Some of those are being mitigated, plus just a proliferation of Wi-Fi a lot of places. So what I'm interested to see, though, is, you know, I think Snapchat, a big draw that they present is the anonymity of their service. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering that as more and more people become aware of privacy things, particularly around the advertising world, does the advent of more advertising or starting to advertise on Snapchat chase away their user base? I'm sure they are watching it very carefully as a company, but I do wonder, maybe people don't really care that much about it. It is interesting to think about knowing how their platform was founded and one of the big draws to it is that anonymity. Does advertisement start to eat away at people's confidence in the tool or is it just now a social norm or people are so ingrained in using it it's just something that they're willing to accept well it almost brings up a a separate argument and that is that i feel like we're in this cycle right now where if apps like snapchat make one wrong move Mm -hmm. they're done oh yeah uh, because it's not that difficult to just make a new Mm-hmm. Snapchat, call it something else. Right. We won't do what they did. are being directly competed with. I mean, I remember when Snapchat was getting popular, I remember saying, I mean, all of the features that they have, I mean, Apple's just going to take them all. Mm-hmm. The next OS, really. I mean, that's what they did. I mean, obviously, there's still going to be a lot of Snapchat users. And I think the primary benefit now is simply just the uh, anonymity because right. you can do everything that you used to be able to do, which was new and novel, you can do that now with the built-in messaging apps on on all the platforms now. So I think that is going to be interesting to see how do they do ads in a way that actually works for them, doesn't scare people away. Well, and also, doesn't confuse people. As an advertiser, what is available for me to target? You know, it makes sense for someone like Universal, who's just doing a huge media buy, and it's just all about eyes at that point. And they probably fell into a good niche because at least my understanding, I'm not actually a Snapchat user, but it's a lot of the younger demographics. So those scary Ouija boards, Halloween marketers, you can tell the truth. (laughs) You have a Snapchat. I don't (laughs) think for Universal, it's probably a good fit knowing the demographics, at least that I've observed on Snapchat. It'll be interesting to know as, as a marketer going to them, is the anonymity of the user preserved to where I know who I'm targeting, who is this audience that it's going to be in front of, things of that nature. Well, there's a few key pieces of information that get from users. I know one is cell phone because I know they had a huge leak a while back. And I think email addresses too. I don't think maybe either one of those are necessary or maybe they become necessary. Kind of like which sort of pisses me off about Google accounts and everything else in general. Now I have to give away my cell phone number to sign up for anything. Really? Uh, That's a separate 
issue. Google Voice. Yeah, well, yeah, you can't set up like new Gmail accounts. You have to put in a cell phone number oh. to sign up and they text you the mm, code and like all this rigmarole just to get a, an account. Anyway, now I've completely lost track of where I'm going. Oh, uh, Snapchat. So, I mean, they do have a few key pieces of information. An email address, which maybe gives you a little bit of insight, a phone number, but also, you know, basic just location information, iOS information, like what kind of software are these people running? So you get some information. And I think that's essentially what you get when you use a lot of the mobile advertising platforms anyway. Right. I mean, you don't get a lot of that really in-depth stuff, at least when I was really big into using them about a year, year and a half ago. I'm sure mm-hmm. they've sort of come along Snapchat at this point. Snapchat or mobile ads? <laughs> mobile ads. <laughs> Beyond just like BS categorizing, like, oh, mm-hmm. these people are interested in movies or something, right. which really, what is that? Okay, hell so you're human. Mean? Great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, ads coming to Snapchat, to a Snapchat account near you. Beat your competitors out. Give it a whirl. Check see what happens. Out. Yeah, I don't know. Again, it's be aware of what's going on in the industry. All right. What else are we talking about? Prioritization and A-B testing. So A-B testing is a new frontier for a lot of folks on the online marketing front. So we get a lot of questions. I might have a lot of ideas around testing. I'm an idea factory, but how do I prioritize what I should test? We wanted to spend a little bit of time about it. There's an interesting Monetary article they timely just published that talks about some of the keys and how you need to prioritize your test. But I was going to give you some of my thoughts on maybe some deeper levels. But the three points that they wanted to cover, which I think do have a lot of merit, so I don't want to poo-poo the article. But the first one was how difficult it's going to be to deploy the test. And I think a lot of people don't have a firm grasp on this because they think something very easy in my mind is going to be very easy to develop as a test. Ah, not nah. not necessarily the case. Uh, and I think that to our points many episodes ago, this is where having some sort of development knowledge really does help you as a online marketer to understand when I'm trying to change something on my website or potentially test it. What do we mean by that is, you know, maybe I want to swap out how my cart looks or what my lead form looks like when I'm, you know, capturing someone's information, having a little bit of development experience or knowledge really aids in you being able to assess the effort that's going to be involved in that. And that can really put a kibosh on the speed in which you can go to test things. Cause what you can end up doing is bogging yourself down with a few A-B tests that are really difficult to run. So you spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to perfect these things, chasing phantom bugs, things of that nature. So either you need to understand a little bit in a dev world or have a close working relationship with one of your developers to hear some of the ideas that I have, what would be the difficulties in executing these? That's the first one. I think one that many people fail to really do intelligently is understand the potential impacts of my test ideas. So what is going to be not only the impact to the business, and we're going to go into that in a little bit in a second, but how many people are actually going to be exposed to this? I find this occurring frequently at many companies where people will run into what they feel like are poor user experiences and say, oh, we need to test that. Well, when you actually look at the metrics, that doesn't really affect many people. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you could technically A-B test that, but you're going to run into two things. One, it's going to take you forever to know anything because not that many people are exposed to it. Or two, you are taking time away from another test that actually has larger impacts on your business because more of your visitors are actually exposed to it. And thus, you're really shooting yourselves in the foot. We're going to go into potential impacts a little bit later on. But then the last thing that they covered was 
how much creative work needs to be done to perform this test. This is a big one that a lot of people don't understand going into tests and that how much effort is also having to go into this, not just from a development standpoint, but how many banners I'm going to have to create or design a whole new page, things of that nature. That also needs to be addressed now that we are in the world of personalization and we want to test, I can create personalized experiences for everyone. Well, think about how much creative do I need to generate and maintain to actually carry on that sort of testing or those types of experiences. It could be something that even if you find great gains, does that actually wash out the amount of effort that you're having to expend to maintain those experiences? A few other ones that I wanted to cover just based on my experience was also weighing time sensitivity or seasons. Sometimes in our businesses, you have certain times of the year that are extremely busy or are very unique in the way of who is coming to my site. And so knowing some of that information, you might change what tests need to be run because I really need to take advantage of the season or one of my products or offerings is really going to get a lot of attention because of the type of year or whatever it might be. So seasonality. Also, what you can do with your testing to help your company develop its products or ideas. So you might know that as a company, we are developing out some of the promotional strategies for the upcoming year. And even though we might have other tests that we want to run, because we're in this planning period, we need to know what is the best way to approach people with either promotions or something about our company. And knowing where we're going or potentially we're going to have some efforts about developing a new feature and we want to prototype some of the stuff, that can also lead you to prioritize some testing. I mean, I, I agree here. I think prioritizing A-B testing is a pretty complex thing that a lot of people don't really spend enough time on. Mm -hmm. They just kind of want to jump into it. I think a good thing to do is to build a sort of framework that works for you or your company. I mean, some of those issues you mentioned may not apply to some companies. Sure. Some, they may be wildly important, you know, build just a simple Excel sheet where you can list out some of the key parts of your web process with a few columns about things like how sensitive to time is this specific part of the process, mm -hmm. uh, how much traffic, what potential impact could I make on these types of things so you can help sort of prioritize and rank different testing ideas based on those different factors and give weights to each one well, depending I would say on like your situation. To your point, maintaining a spreadsheet or something like that, but also exposing it out to other people, yeah. particularly if you're reliant on development to get your tests done, letting them know what you're thinking about testing-wise can mean that sometimes your tests might be prioritized because our development team is already working on something, so they can actually work on your test right now. We're already cracking open the code to do something else that's in this area, so let's go ahead and get that test done since we're already in here. So having that visibility out there, I think, to your point, can solicit ideas like, oh yeah, we need to do that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, in the case of maybe your IT or development team, hey, we're actually working on that already. Let's go ahead and run that test because we're in here. So I think you did make a good point. And one, getting down a process, but also exposing others in your company to it can really help you prioritize what might be beneficial for your company. Yeah, I mean, especially a dev team. You know, this is something you know, I know you probably deal with this a lot and I do too. It's just that simply a lot of the marketing guys out there, and I know you mentioned this and I know that we've mentioned this before, don't know enough about dev and tech and they mm -hmm. don't know that, yeah, that simple homepage test you think is going to be simple. That's actually going to take 20 hours of dev work where 
Whereas this one that you think is complex, no. You know, to your point, we're already working on that process and dumping your test code actually is only going to take us like an extra couple of hours. Mm -hmm. So that's something we can do now. And so being involved in those flows, just even being aware of, maybe being subscribed to the base camp projects they work on Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, kind of project management, just being aware of maybe going to some of those overview meetings and being plugged into how can I get my test, you know, latched on to some of the things Mm -hmm. that maybe they're already doing. Right, exactly. So that's enough on testing. Rob Harbinger of Google News and the SEO world's Penguin 3.0. What is it that we need to know about it? What is Penguin again? This is another animal. I can't keep track of all the names. So what should we know? I can't either. (laughs) Okay, so I think Penguin primarily deals with links to your Mm -hmm. site, right? So Panda is primarily based on content. Penguin is based on links. This latest Penguin 3.0 was released a week and a half ago, depending on when you're listening to this. (laughs) But basically, it's just further the punishment for companies that do that crappy link building that Mm -hmm. I hope we've been saying on this podcast that you should not be doing for the last 80 something episodes. (laughs) You shouldn't be doing that if you haven't heard me say that already. And this is the type of stuff that worked three, four years ago, maybe does still work sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it's always going to be short lived. This update is going to be more specifically targeted to some of those guys who have been able to figure out some of the latest tricks and hacks with their crappy link building to get to the top. In terms of everybody freaking out about every one of these updates, I think so long as you just take a wholesome approach to SEO, I don't follow a lot of these updates anymore. It's just become, I feel like some of these SEO blogs have become paralysis with analysis. Like, let's Mm. just freak out about every little update, Penguin 3.0, 3.1. Like, let's follow every single little thing and analyze everything to death. Um, I don't know that that's worth it. Just be aware that, you know, they're always rolling out these updates. You can't just look at, oh man, yeah, we're first page for this. I mean, we're making tons of money right now, tons Mm -hmm. of traffic. That's probably going to change in a month. So you need to take wholesome approaches to SEO. Don't do crappy link building. Good, have good content, all of these sorts of things. So you don't have to worry about all of these change-ups wrecking your life. To that point, though, I mean, you do need to stay up to date on what your rankings are looking like. So if something does smack you in the face, you can then, you're aware of it at least, right? And then you can try to dig into Webmaster Tools and find out why that is. Do some research on what Well, I think it's why it is important for some too, and I don't mean this belittling to many people, is many don't have a lot of experience in this field. And so Mm -hmm. at least the trend that we see for a lot of companies is younger people get put into these jobs. You're young, you're hip. You know, you must know some things about this internet newfangled thing. And they get put into these SEO positions and they might know very surface level things, but they haven't really dug in. And the problem that at least that I encounter with a lot of folks is they might take good practices or decent practices themselves, but they've inherited a site or a business wasn't necessarily always the case. I mean, for many, many years, business, and it's still the case today, business owners are inundated with these spam link companies to help grow traffic and things like that. And as a business owner that might not necessarily have online marketing savviness, some of this stuff seems very appealing or it comes across very professional 
professional. Yeah. They have decent websites, things like that. And so I think a lot of people are concerned and pay attention to these updates and things like that because potentially they've inherited a pretty bad problem, but they've never really addressed the underlying architecture of that site that they didn't necessarily foster up from the ground up. And they try to institute some best practices while they're there, but they haven't really addressed the leaky foundation that their site might be built on or the poison that was you know instituted by someone else. So that is a charge for you. I mean, if you are in the SEO space, you should already, but take inventory of where you're at. Webmaster tools. Yeah. You better we be on We talk about that. this almost every right. episode. Yeah. You need to understand what your site is doing to rank, what was done in the past, you know, where are your links coming from, what does your content look like. Things of these nature are very important because not only can you be penalized, like we're talking about with this penguin rollout, but you can get ultimately burned. You can get penalized enough to where Google has a massive search there. So getting the axe by them can be really the death of a site or a business. It's really hard to come back from Google. As nice as they are, and I love all their products, they don't necessarily have the strongest customer service. Mm-hmm. Your site gets banned. We're not really a customer. Ask. No. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're just, you just happen to be on their product. You're a website owner of one of millions of other websites. Right. They don't really care that much. So you need, I mean, out of risk management, need to understand these things and take inventory. All right. So moving on. New report from marketingland.com. You know, we got to talk about the holidays uh, for every podcast from here on out until this madness is all over. Title of the article is a record 56% of holiday shoppers will shop online this year. I think it's safe to assume there will be new records every year posted for literally everything involved in internet marketing, be it sales, number of people shopping online. But I think something that's key for this year, especially, so I mean, obviously those things will increase, but mobile stuff is going to increase, I think, proportionally more than everywhere else. Here's some numbers I'm going to throw at you to help try to drive some of this home and then maybe some tips for how we can make our mobile marketing better. Oh, yeah. Mobile commerce expected to grow at 55.7% of smartphone owners will use their device in some way for holiday shopping, up from uh, closer to like 53% last year. 35.8% of smartphone owners will use it to research products and prices, an all-time high. 19.1% of smartphone owners will buy a holiday gift via their device itself, another record, so not just to do research. And finally, 47.4% of tablet owners will use it to research holiday items, and 33% will buy something via their tablet, which is something I've always noticed. Tablet, people, browsers, they definitely Mm -hmm. buy way more than people on a phone. So that's my first tip. Really pay attention to what your tablet users are doing. It's something that oftentimes just gets lumped in with iPhone people or, you know, whatever, any other phones. Those segments, in fact, a couple of the websites that I run, tablets are the highest performing of all the segments, Segments, uh, visitors. So that's an interesting thing. Take a look at that segment. It's probably a very large portion of your website traffic because mobile traffic is continuing to increase, but especially over this holiday season, pay special attention to how your website looks and acts on tablets. It's kind of that in-between that some people don't really pay attention to. They just kind of assume if it looks good on a phone and assume it looks good on a desktop that it will look good on tablets like iPads and things. That's not always the case. Make sure your stuff is locked tight on your tablets (laughs) out there. Some other things, you know, a lot of these things are going to depend on exactly what market you're in. But for e-commerce guys, I mean, things you have to expect is a ton of comparison shopping from people on phones. How does that play into your holiday marketing experience? Mm -hmm. When you expect a lot of people to be comparison shopping, what kind of value props can you throw in people's faces to make them want to stay with you? 
even if you're maybe not the lowest price, what are some other things you can throw? Free shipping, other promotions, coupons, whatever. More related products, shipping timelines are going to be hugely important. Oh, yes. It's not necessarily limited to mobile users. Those are some of the other things. And, you know, I just really wanted to sort of nail home the fact that this mobile shopping this holiday season is going to be bigger than ever. We need to really be paying attention to what we're doing for mobile phone users. I would say a charge between all that is not only looking at our data, but ensuring from an experience side of things that we're doing well. You know mm-hmm. that you're going to get an influx and even more mobile eyes. Now is the time to double down. Make sure you're going through and QAing your site on these mobile devices, making sure that there's no breakage on some of these experiences that people are using, putting in some alerts in there. Things of that nature, um, but also understanding how your mobile traffic performs. I noticed that on some of the sites that we manage, at least, that behaviors on phones and tablets change by day of the week and browsing patterns and shopping behaviors change a little bit. Now, the holiday season throws potentially a wrench in that, but understanding what your users are doing on what day and what time of day might influence different things that you might want to try on your site to really cater to, as you were talking about, their shopping experience. How are we going to present promotions? How are we going to try to incentivize them? Even though you might be casually browsing and we know this isn't a strong sales period, how can we capture your attention and close the sale and things of that nature? Yeah. Uh, one final thing I, I forgot to mention this earlier was that there are some unique things that we can know about phone users that we can't necessarily know about uh, desktop people. And that is simply with a mobile phone, obviously you don't know necessarily where I am very easily, but this is possible. If I'm on a Wi-Fi network, it's maybe safer to assume that I'm home. So I'll probably be browsing differently than if I was on my AT&T network, maybe in the store trying to comparison browse. And how do your marketing messages look between those two different scenarios and how can you sort of optimize for each is another thing to keep in mind. What else we got? So I did want to spend a few seconds here. I think, and we've talked about this before in the podcast as well, that design, I think sometimes is sidelined a bit in online marketing. You know, we have a lot of data, we have these testing elements, things of that nature. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily pay attention to design and the influence that it has and how people receive those messages that we spend a lot of time on. Design oftentimes gets sidelined with, we're trying to do so much. And so design sort of suffers because we're trying to cram so much into our experiences that design is all over the place. In particular, I think that not enough people need to pay attention to accessibility and how easy it is for me to interpret what you're designing. I think a lot of individuals out there design things where it looks really great for them, but they don't look at the whole picture. And what I mean by this is it's striking to me how many people just don't think about old monitors and old devices. You know, they want to get very fancy with some of these font colors and weightings and things of that nature. And that might look great for your retina laptop display that is extremely sharp and hip with the times or, you know, my great work PC. But if I'm using a busted phone or an old tablet, or I just have an old compact at my house that I use for my browsing, I'm a grandma with my, you know, reading glasses on. Some of these experiences and designs just do not look very good. And also people don't have very accurate color reproduction, which can cause havoc. And how do I even read this stuff? Or what the experience that I see as a general user might be vastly different than you on your design laptop 
or a workstation that's calibrated and all these types of things. So I did want to give a shout out to a Smashing Magazine article. We're going to tweet it out, but it was published on October 22nd. It's called Color Contrast Tips and Tools for Accessibility. I would challenge a lot of people to read that. They have a lot of good, they have many good tips that people really need to do some self-discovery and self-reflection on to see, are you an offender and how you might need to change some of your creatives that maybe to your eye are potentially uglier. But what you'll find is more people can actually read them and interpret what you're trying to say. It's a great article. I think a lot of marketers need to take more into account. Don Draper would be extremely impressed with you making sure that your presentation is on point. So let's move because we're limited on time. Google Corner. Let's see what our overlords in Mount View are doing. Besides Penguin, which we already saw. Right. Of. So Penguin 3.0, do your reading on there. Get your tinfoil hat on, stress whatever it might be. It's stress not that ball. big. Yeah. Alcohol. <laughs> stress ball from Jurassic Park where the guy's <laughs> squeezing it. Uh, the other two things I wanted to talk about, and again, this will be a link that we'll tweet out, but Search Engine Land has an article on it. There are now tools and some great articles. You know, we talked about last episode that Google is getting more aggressive with websites and assessing how mobile friendly they are. There's a great write-up in Search Engine Land where they talk about some tools and how you can assess your website to essentially pass the Google mobile test, making sure that your site gets A-OK, the thumbs up, so you don't see that dreaded markup. This site is not mobile friendly because they are showing that more often and that could really start hurting your organic and search traffic. This is something I saw in the wild today for the first time on my iPhone using Chrome. On, on the iPhone, I did see little mobile icons next to website mm-hmm. listings. So so get on that. Get your learn on. I, like I mentioned earlier, mobile is going to be important this holiday shopping right. season. Get that see SEO how we on. brought that all yeah. around. Bringing it around. So we're going to tweet out a link. If you want to check it out, it's on Search Engine Land. It's named Have Your Site Beat Google's Mobile Experience Algorithm. Check it out. It's definitely worth a read. Lastly, there are hints of a new service that Google's rolling out called Google Inbox. And what they're dubbing this is really the evolution of email. I don't want to go too much into detail about it, but it is a very fascinating product and it'll be interesting to see the adoption rate. Right now it's an extreme beta testing. You have to actually get invited in and submit to be brought into the program. But I think they have some very forward thinking ideas about where email is going and how that fits into people's mm-hmm. lives. Like and, Google Wave and yeah, Google Plus. And, and people <laughs> that are in the email marketing space, I don't know if how much is going to catch on, but it's good to be kept abreast of what's, oh, going, know on. what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So Google inbox, take a look. This is not Gmail. So don't think that I'm an idiot. I just discovered Gmail that has another name. This is actually <laughs> a new service that Google is testing out. Google inbox, check it out. Pretty interesting. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for your time. We enjoyed ourselves. Ask for a couple things. One that you share with a friend, a colleague, or a lover perhaps. Also, if you enjoyed yourself, leave us a review on whatever channel you found us on. It helps us grow the show, but know where we're at as well. What do we need to change? What are we doing great? If you have an idea for the show, maybe you sit there and listen every week and say, "Mm, those beer guys, they're pretty smart. They didn't think about this. Or you're really struggling with something. You don't really know where to turn or the boss is yelling at you. Reach out to us. You can give us a call at 904-270-9603. We take calls or texts at our Beard Marketers hotline. You can 
can reach us on Twitter. We're quite active there. Or you can leave us a line at thebeardmarketers.com slash contact. We love hearing from people. Helps us come up with ideas that are relevant to you. But also we typically try to get to them the very next episode. So we will address you as soon as possible. But thank you again so much for your time. And we'll see you next week. Gia. Yeah.